0: some common sense. Yes,
1: sir, the the by the we
0: still don't know who pulled the trigger. and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. Folks, since this arrest of Rex Eurman on Thursday, this case has sort of captured the the whole nation in regards to the fears that were brought about by an arrest like this, or actually relieved the fears of a lot of people that were wondering when this Gilgo Beach case would be closed. And there's so many other aspects to it in regards to the investigation. The investigation is not over because there was an arrest. This investigation is still so active and still so important that they follow every lead. They, as you know, uh, the state police, the Suffolk County police, the FBI, they're conducting searches. In the Massapequa home on Long Island, Massapequa Park, Long Island, of Rex Schuerman, some of the things, some of the things they are finding, are unsettling. Some of the things that they are looking for, you may ask, what are they looking for? And we've spoken about many things. Anything that can connect Rex Schuerman to the victims in this case, anything that could potentially connect the victims to Rex Schuerman. What do I mean by that? Potentially articles of clothing, a a purse, a pocketbook, a wallet, a picture identification. These are commonly taken by serial killers of this type as what we refer to as a trophy, forensic evidence. Is it possible that forensic evidence is still existing in this house more than 10 years after these, these events? is it still possible yes the answer is yes it is possible it has been revealed that a search of the downstairs of the house of rex Schumann's house revealed a locked closet inside that locked closet was over 200 firearms 200 this was out of the mouth of um suffolk county police commissioner rodney harrison over two hundred firearms. Is that what does that tell us about about Rex Human? Does it tell us anything? Also, was a life-sized doll. What does that tell us about him? You know. Do not forget, they are not finished searching this house, and as you notice, the investigators, the searchers, the detectives, the FBI agents, they're wearing white Tyvek suits to protect their bodies, and also. To protect the evidence amazing that in a case like this evidence that was recovered 10 years ago was preserved and resulted and i'm referring to the hair follicles found on three of the bodies was reserved and identified as rex human's wife's dna a hair follicle was preserved for over 10 years and it was identified as belonging to Rex Hewomen. That is outstanding, outstanding police work, both in the processing and also in the protection of this evidence for so many years that it obviously was stored properly so that they could identify this evidence once the technology existed, the technology raced by the investigation to the point where the technology is so good that it not only caught up to the investigation, but surpassed it. How many times can you actually say something like that? Are there things wrong with this investigation? In every investigation, police, FBI, we all make mistakes. However, this was an outstanding investigation. And as soon as Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison in 2002, put this task force together. I think that was the catalyst to really bringing this case together and winding up where we are on this Thursday, making an arrest, an arrest of Rex Schumann. Today I have a really, really exciting guest. And what else could I bring on but a, an attorney, a former NYPD police officer, a writer, a radio talk show host, Actually, a songwriter also, a dad and an attorney. Let's welcome to the show. Montgomery Delaney, Monty, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, Bill, good to see you. Happy to be here.
0: You know, Monty, we had spoken about um, about how um, transparent, maybe too transparent they were with this investigation, in letting the public and letting know would-be defense attorneys. Uh, would be other criminals out in the street, potentially an accomplice? We don't know. I'm not saying he had an accomplice, but potentially there could be one. Mm -hmm. And I believe that a lot of information was released by the Suffolk County District Attorney. Mm
2: -hmm. Would
0: you like to comment on that?
2: Well, I tell you, I watched the press conference and I was absolutely dumbfounded uh, by by the amount of uh, information that uh, the district attorney Put out there in the public uh, realm uh and basically um you know you know he just uh assured the public that this man was guilty uh i think he polluted the jury pool i think uh his his defense attorneys have to have to be looking at a motion to change venue Uh, it's just uh it was it was beyond my comprehension that he could come out and make statements like that and then chief harrison did the same thing call the man a demon uh, walking amongst us I thought that was just way above the pale I mean we have a the, there's been no trial yet we have to pick a jury we have to convict this man using the evidence that we've we've got garnered and I just thought that was just way beyond the pale they gave out way too much information and the, and you know district attorney Sweeney said well he's we're not going to see him uh, in, in one prior uh, uh, uh conversation so we're not going to see me out there with a, with a with a magnifying glass on gilgo beach you know in other words to say look uh, i'm not gonna puff this case up and then they make this arrest and, and he just goes out there and goes way beyond uh, uh the pale in terms of not only divulging not only basically saying that this man is guilty to millions of people but also divulging uh, a lot of the investigative uh procedures, which I don't think is a good idea to share with the public. Certainly not with the criminal public. Absolutely not. Uh, so it's, it, was, it, was, uh, it was frustrating to sit, here, sit there and watch him and listen to him. It was uh, I think he spoke for 25 minutes and he, he just gave way too much away and he basically painted this man as guilty and there hasn't even been a trial yet. He may very well be guilty. It looks like there's a lot of compelling circumstantial evidence here. And the DNA evidence is very compelling, but you know he's not convicted yet and uh i just think that was just if i'm a defense lawyer i'm saying okay okay i, I this jury pool is polluted you know
0: you know absolutely and, and you raised the point and I, and I, you know a lot of people push back in the chat we get people that comment on our podcast which is great right i love to read their comments and i love some of them are <laughs> right, and sometimes i can be wrong but i also cringe when law enforcement gives away investigative secrets. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe that law enforcement needs to be transparent with the public as per how they caught this guy.
2: I agree with you hundred percent.
0: The transparency is the job of the district attorney's office through discovery, not through the media.
2: You know, what's ironic is that one of the things district attorney said was that they knew that this guy was monitoring their activities on the internet. And in fact, uh, his Google history demonstrates that I think he made over 200 searches into what was going on with the investigation. Now, <laughs> to give away all of these investigative techniques and speak with speak of them with such specificity, I mean any 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 killer out there was was uh, privy to a, a, a dearth a wealth of information uh, about investigative procedures and techniques. I don't think that's a good idea. It's not not a good idea at all because you know this this guy's not. There's more than one serial killer out there. There's more than one murderer out there. There's more than one criminal out there. And I, I just don't think it's a good idea. I agree with you 100%. No.
0: You know, a lot of t- times you'll hear uh, people talk about um, something called the CSI effect. Mm. And what the CSI effect is, I know you know what it is, but the CSI effect is basically all of these TV shows mm. doing shows about crime and yeah. about the capabilities they have that the police can't even do what they're doing on TV. But the public believes they can because it must be true. They're doing it on TV. And it's not true. It's like they have this easy button. It's like, when you see on TV all these cameras, that
2: you remember Perry Mason used to like get go to that point in the show where he would testify in front of the jury and tell the jury like the guy would just be on the stand, okay, you're right, Mr. Mason. You, I admit it, you know. Uh, I, I have to disabuse jurors of those notions all the time when I'm picking a jury. You know, they, they these ideas they have from television and from the media about you know, uh, the legal system and what happens there are, are quite often. Uh, misconstrued as a result of their uh, their their love for these television shows. You know, you and I were cops. I look at these police shows. Some of them are like comedies to me because you know that's not what police work is. You know, I so, see that you have me here on the screen as P.O. Delaney two three eight zero nine. I I, I have been referred to as that in a long time, but I think it's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, I do too. I I like that you put that. You never forgot that you were a cop, and and also for the for Marines out there, Monty's also a Marine, and Simple as five. we know. Once you're in the United States Marine, you're never a former Marine. You're a Marine. You earned that title. You're a Marine. You so I just wanted to mention that also, and thank you for your service. I want to play a little bit of this. We'll see what this district attorney was saying on Fox 5. Mm-hmm.
3: Against the man suspected of the Giggle Beach killings.
4: Yeah, that man, Rex Hewerman, a Long Island architect, has been charged with murder and the deaths of three of the 11 victims and a long unsolved string of killings. Prosecutors say... Excuse me, Hewerman had a burner phone, had burner phones and a long internet history containing at least 200 searches about the investigation into the Gilgo murders. And
3: joining us now, Suffolk County District Attorney Ray Tierney with details about this special task force and investigation that led to the arrest of Hewerman. I mean, this has been over a decade in the making. One of the top investigators saying this guy was a demon. And it just sticks with you but also you know very congrats on your team and hats off to you guys because this is a long time coming
1: well thank you and thank you for having me yeah it you know we i i got into office january of 2022 we we formed the task force we started we had our first meeting in in february 1st of, of 2022 and then uh by march 14th uh, of 2022 we had after reviewing all the evidence in the case we had we had honed, sort of honed in on this this defendant
3: when you're talking about an avalanche of evidence what does that look like and i know there's also maybe he a fourth person that he's been linked to why not why are we not there yet with the fourth person
1: well you know we we utilize the grand jury uh because the grand jury gives you two advantages you have the ability to subpoena records Monty,
0: I want you to comment upon what is an avalanche of evidence.
2: Well, I, I think they were referring to the vehicle when they when they, when they when they said that. I think that was like a tongue-in-cheek reference to the vehicle. But it seems as though you know, from what I've been reading, what I've been seeing, is a fascinating case, number one. But it seems as though the the investigators they did a, a very good job of you know gathering uh, some very powerful circumstantial evidence against this man also you know the the dna evidence is, is really very powerful i mean it, it it amazes me you know we were cops 40 years ago when if you got a fingerprint that was considered like you know high tech you know now today <laughs> what they're doing with the dna science is absolutely amazing you know not only identifying people from their own dna they're identifying people from the dna of their family members and their friends and their cousins you know and you got sites like you know 23andMe, which will tell you if they got a piece of hair and they submitted to 23andMe, that 23andMe will tell you who are the cousins of these, who the possible relatives of this individual hair is, you know. It's, it's amazing to me. So, very tough to get away with crimes today, especially when you think about transference. Like, it's so easy to transfer a hair or some epithelial cells or, you know, from one body or one person to another. And I think One of the things they're probably looking for in that house, you know, are, you know, hair samples. Very important and and things like that. Potential, you know, um, as you said, trophies, you know, pieces of jewelry, articles of clothing, identification cards seem to be very popular with serial killers. They want to take those as trophies. Um, So I think, you know, I think that the investigation is going to be ongoing. I think they're going to uncover more circumstantial evidence, maybe some more very powerful evidence. And I also think that eventually, if they if they follow this to its conclusion, that they're going to find other bodies connected to... Um, they may find other bodies connected to this individual or to other individuals. I mean, but, uh, you know, a, the, the notion that if, if it is him, and I'm not saying it is, but it looks like, you know, they have put, put together a, a, a relatively um, strong uh, indication that it might be him, but if it is him, I doubt that these three or four ladies uh, were the only ones, you know, Uh, that's just not the nature of this beast, you know?
0: You know, Monty, I think you're right, because if these murders took place in 2010, he's 59 years old right now, right? Mm. So that was 13 years ago. So he was 46 years old. Right. Uh, Dr. Joni Johnson on my show the other night says, most serial killers do not start out at 46 years old. What she wants to know, what we all want to know, what was he doing in the years prior to being 46 years old, before these killings started? What was he doing? That's why I've said also that they have to track everywhere this guy went. Right. Probably almost since he was in high school. Track where he traveled to. Mm. His wife is from Iceland. I would be already over in Iceland talking to the Iceland police, what kind of cases do you have here? Right. How many times did he travel to Iceland? How many times did he travel to other states? Hmm. He's an architect. Did he travel on business? Well, they're
2: going to try to connect the dots. I mean, every jurisdiction that he's ever traveled to now is going to be looking at uh, at open cases and uh, cold cases and see if there's any connection now that they have his DNA. Uh that's interesting other thing interesting here is he it seems like he stopped for a number of years which we've seen that before we saw that with the the bind torture and kill killer uh and and uh, one of those uh, the one of those uh, serial killers in california i think it was a green river killer where they stopped for a period of time because uh you know the, the scrutiny was very very uh intense so they stop and then they go back to it later on uh But here's a guy, like you said, in his 40s, mid 40s, you know, that's the full flower of your manhood. You're big, strong, agile, tough at that age, um, you know, powerful. And uh, and I I think the indication is that he, you know, for years he researched the uh, what was going on in this investigation. So I think he was probably if it was him and that was the reason why he was searching. uh, He was he was worried about getting caught
0: absolutely let yeah. me go back to the uh um, what's like suffolk da uh call witnesses
1: but also you have secrecy uh-huh. so we were you know we utilizing the grand jury we were working through the case uh and then towards uh, last thursday we had uh, given the potential danger um, and also potential uh, disclosure of our investigation. When you
3: say potential danger, what, is that, what does that mean?
1: Well, the defendant uh, it lived a very atypical life. He bifurcated his life, uh, and he was still continuing to use burner phones, right. still continuing to communicate with sex workers. Wow. So, we, wow. you know, that was obviously very concerning. Obviously, we, we, we had him under surveillance, but still... Um, so, you know, uh, early evening Thursday, we, you know, the decision was made, you know, we, we need to we need to mm-hmm. to, to, to put him in, in custody
0: to move in. Monty, could you imagine th- at what point we want to know when did they actually have probable cause when the case could have been taken down? They have probable cause at such and such a date and they well, don't tell anybody and someone gets killed by yeah, him. In the I, I think camp. we could look
2: back at the, uh, you know, the. Uh, the, the search warrants that they were uh, that they garnered because you have to show probable cause to a judge in order to get the search warrant. So if they were looking to do searches you know months ago, they probably had what they considered to be probable cause back then. And you know what was very strange there's a couple stories come out in the last couple of days, uh, one of a young lady that was in a networking group with him and another uh, young lady that was uh, uh, had some kind of uh, encounter with him, Uh, in a park uh, near his home. Uh, So he was still, he he was still chatting up young women uh, right up until his arrest. These were, these were, these, these were incidents that happened recently. And these two young women came out and said, you know, that he was, they felt that he was creepy. And I think one woman quit the uh, networking uh, group because she felt uncomfortable with him. And the other woman was compelled to call her sister to come escort her home from the park because he was basically following her around the park. So, you know, he uh he may have been stalking you know these these two women he may have been uh, still engaged in that kind of behavior uh god only knows god only knows i mean uh the da sweet the da must feel very very strongly about his case for him to just come out and basically just say this guy's guilty um and i hope his case is as strong as he says because you know once you say that once you do that to the jury pool now, you know, gonna, there's going to be this is going to be a protracted legal battle, I think. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to try to put together a team of attorneys, but whoever's whoever's working on this case has got their work cut out for them because his motions that have to be made right now. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's, it's going to be a fascinating thing. I think ultimately what will happen is if if it is him, you know, he'll plea. They'll make some kind of deal with him to uh, you know, to. Uh, you know, cop to the other bodies and find find other bodies, and and he'll plea. Um,
0: well, that that would really help in this investigation because yeah, then you know if he if he's going to do life without parole, no matter what, it would really help the police and the investigators to know what other cases did you do. You see, well, what? this
2: I don't believe I'm not a big death penalty fan, you know, uh, but in, this is a case here where the death penalty would actually be beneficial to the prosecution if you could hold that over his head right now, there's nothing really to hold over his head. We don't, we
0: don't have it in New York.
2: I know we don't have it anymore, but it's because in a state where they had the death penalty, they could hold that over the the, the, defendant's head. Uh, But here he's looking at life in prison without parole anyway. So he's got nothing to, uh, nothing to lose, you know, to keep his mouth shut. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And what was the smoking gun? In this
4: case,
1: I think the the smoking gun is, is first of all, forming the task force and and bringing in uh, really great analysts and investigators from a number of agencies uh, and putting them directly in contact with with our prosecutors. But what was
3: that piece that said, this is our guide? Well,
1: first of all, looking at everything. And then, you know, on March 14th. Uh, that's when we fir- the name uh, Rex Ureman first came uh, as a suspect, and that was as a result of um, you know one of the invest- one of the state police investigators realized that he he owned this Chevy Avalanche, mm. which was the v- vehicle driven by uh, the- a man that last saw the last victim Amber Costello alive, and uh, that individual was was described uh, very distinctly, very large man uh, you know, very heavily built, uh, uh glasses, white, um, you know, uh, th- thick hair, thick, dark hair. And, uh, when we saw that, uh, Urimen matched that description, but not only that, Earlier in the investigation in 2012, the FBI had established these areas of interest in Massapequa Park, mm-hmm. as well as Midtown Manhattan, uh, as, as far as phone, cell phone usage mm-hmm. and areas where, the, where these cell phones were being used. And Yerman, he lived in Massapequa Park and he worked in Midtown Manhattan in that within that same area. So these were, were very uh, you know, compelling. Um, factors and then of course then now you go back to the crime scene and you've got these five question hairs uh, which were unsuitable for regular DNA but we, we did
0: mitochondrial DNA that brings
4: me to my next question talk about the advancement of technology I mean we're
0: talking a decade ago these murders yeah. took place sure so the you know Monty I just also want to say while we're on this topic that Chevy Avalanche right was that was 13 years ago but he's still, so, on, the car. But he's still on the car he was you know, the car was seen. At, uh, no, I, I think they found someone else owned it and they got the car. Someone right. down south, I think, owned it. Yeah. But the, the, the point was is that many he kept people kept it for years say, parked in
2: front of his house. I mean, he didn't make any attempt to get rid of the car, you know.
0: But many people will say, why didn't they have that lead years ago? And it wasn't just that lead. It was connecting that lead with other evidence that enabled them to identify Rex
2: well, they knew about that. They knew about the make and model of the car years, years ago, but I think th- to make any connection with him, I, I mean, I don't know how many of those cars were sold uh, in, in, in the metropolitan area. I don't know how many uh, people they had. They must have done a, a, a run on the car and probably came up with thousands of uh, people owning them. And, was, you know, I don't know what kind of work they did uh, with that aspect of the, of the investigation years ago, but um it seems to me that he, you know, he, the guy kept the car for a long period of time, parked it in front of his house. Everybody knew that he had a car like that, uh, but uh, for them to put it together uh, at this point, you know, look, I, I'm just glad that they finally put it together. Um, but I do think that every, I mean, this uh, DA is going on every talk show. It was on News Radio 88 today. I was in the car listening to him. I, he's he's polluting the jury pool with every every time every show that he goes on. I, I you know. I had several cases in my career that were newspaper worthy, like profile cases, you know, and I I always said to the reporters outside the courthouse, I don't try my cases in the news. I try them in the courtroom. And I, you know, I just don't think this is a good idea for any attorney to, uh, whether you're on the prosecution or the defense side, to go out there and and just give the whole theory of your case out to the public. And basically, you know, basically to dictate that the individual that you're, you're prosecuting is, is, uh, is guilty per se uh, without even the benefit of one day of, of trial testimony. I think that's a bad move. I, I, I don't think it's uh it, he should, sh- he should stop going on TV shows right now too much.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And Monty, I don't know if you saw this, but it was the 32 page veil um, application. Uh, no, I
2: hadn't seen that. I, I know you mentioned it on the podcast. Um, I, I'm interested. I would like to see that myself.
0: Well, would- it basically gives the whole case. Uh, of what led them to Rex Hureman. All the evidence they have, uh, step by step. And I mean, it seems oversimplified. Let's say a 13-year investigation broiled down to 32 pages. And of course, we know it's not that simple. Yeah, well, we
2: used to say less is more, right? We used to say less is more.
0: Well, I can imagine in reality, there's probably about 50 case folders of uh, of 50 pages each. Right. Uh, So figure that out, and it all boiled down to 32 pages. But many look. There was a lot of. uh...
2: Well, you know, the thing is this: you know, if you're if you're a defense attorney, you're going to get discovery in the case, right? So you're going to get everything. Hopefully, you know, through Brady, you're going to get everything that they have. You're going to get to look at it. Now, think about this: if a defense attorney's got all of this discovery, they would not be out in the media revealing all the evidence that that has been gathered against their client. This guy, he's trying the case in the media. And, you know, that's not the place to try the case. It's just not.
0: No, I I agree with you. And I think that because of where we came from, the NYPD, and, and, you know, even more so. You know, and I want to
2: give him credit. I mean, you know, he put this task force together. I mean, the the investigators did a great job, uh, it, it seems. But enough is enough with the uh, with, with the with the TV shows and the interviews. Enough is enough. Because at some point the I pronoun becomes your enemy, you know. You, you might want to run for something later on, but this is not the way to do it.
0: No. And I, I just wanted to say that the FBI has a policy of not talking about ongoing investigations. Period. Period. Yeah. So when people say, Oh, you cops, you this, you that, you know, right. you guys, that's your attitude. No. This is the way it's done. You keep it close to the vest, and that will protect your case. Going out to the media and telling them how you caught this guy, when you got the evidence, who you got the evidence from, how much evidence you have, that does not help your case. It hurts your case.
2: Right. You know, and also, now you're going to have reporters sticking microphones in the face of every witness in the case, of every family member, uh, and who knows how that's going to taint the testimony going forward. Uh, I don't, it's just not a good idea. It's just really, I think it's detrimental to the, the voir dire process, you know, the picking of a jury. And I, I think if his lawyers have to be salivating at the, at the possibility of getting the venue changed from uh, this County out, you know, you might try this case out up in Watertown someplace, you know? I mean, yeah. And at some point, I don't care how far away you go. If you pollute the pool enough, you can't get a fair trial anywhere, you know? Because everybody's going to have a preconceived notion. You know, this guy right now, we're we're like a week and a half in it. And the media has portrayed him as the killer, you know. Uh, So it's going to be very tough in terms of jury selection. And um, I just don't know why he keeps going on these shows enough. okay? we formed a task force. We developed evidence. We have arrested this man. This, you know, there's a true bill. And we're going to have a trial, and that's it. The rest is all puffery. And uh, you know, I don't know if it's uh, if it's egoist, egoism, egoism, or, or um, uh, a false sense of pride. I mean, you should be proud. You did a good job. You, you put the people together that could solve the case. But at some point, you know, less less is more. And you, you're just damaging. You're damaging. And I you know again. Nobody really if he's this what, what this guy is alleged to have done is so heinous and so disgusting that nobody's going to really feel sorry for him. But uh, under the Constitution, he has a right to have a, a, a jury that's not tainted.
0: Absolutely. And,
2: uh, and that's what's that's what's happening here. And it's I don't think it's good. It's not good for the system.
0: Absolutely. Folks, this is police off the cuff. Real crime stories. If you like real crime, true crime from a police perspective. Then you're in the right place and if you're not subscribed to us go on our youtube hit that subscribe button give us a thumbs up and ring that bell and if you want to support us financially we have a patreon with three different levels and we also have a youtube channel membership with count of five different levels and you see the folks in the green font they're part of our youtube channel memberships and we really appreciate all of our friends our subs and our supporters of police off the cuff real crime stories you know, you know, Monty, I, I want to just finish playing a little bit more of this district attorney and then we'll move on from this because there's okay. a lot of more aspects of this case that I want to talk about. The the four women were
1: were murdered between 2007 and 2009. Uh, September of 2009 was the last murder. Um, they were, weren't discovered till December of uh, uh I'm sorry no, uh, september of 2010 they weren't discovered until late 2010 uh, and uh, uh, in that harsh environment there wasn't a lot of uh, there wasn't a lot of evidence except for these hairs mm-hmm. which originally were not suitable for nuclear DNA testing but with regard with uh, regarding advancements we were able to do mitochondrial DNA we did uh, DNA profiles we got an abandonment sample from the defendant and some of his family members and the profile from those samples matched some of the hairs found on the bodies specifically hairs from uh Hureman and and two hairs from his wife.
3: We'll talk about the victims because see, this has affected many families especially in our area outside of our area when you had the chance to call them and tell them this news what was that like
1: Um well we we actually we, you know, we did it in person because, um, you know, it's just a powerful thing. And that is that, you know, that's a moment I don't think, you know, any of us will ever forget because they had waited for so long and, you know, periodically you do meet up with them. Uh, and of course we didn't tell them what, why we were coming to see them. And so when we saw them and they, they knew just to see the, the, the emotion and the relief wash over them, uh, it, was, it was very gratifying because well, that's really I'm why sure. we do what we do.
4: What's next? I mean, we still have six bodies
1: yeah so so we we have you know seven
4: technically because he's only been charged with 3.
1: Yeah he's been charged with 3 uh and that and those 3 are part of the Gilgo 4 uh what has been you know uh called the Gilgo 4 the fourth victim uh, Maureen Brainerd Barnes uh we we You know, the grand jury investigation is continuing. uh, And once we uh, acquire more evidence and and, uh, are able to present that to the grand jury, you know, we feel good about uh, that fourth case as well.
3: Ray, but could there be more? Because you're saying, and what's shocking to me, is that this guy was still using his burner phones, you know, within just a week ago of trying to contact sex workers. So could there be more?
1: So, you know, as I said, we started February 1st, March 14th. We, we, uh, we centered on this individual. We have these four yeah. cases in our sites. Uh, we're going to complete that and then we're gonna keep on going. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what I think, it matters what I can prove and we're gonna to continue to work uh, through this case. And, and, you know, we have a great team and we feel good about things. What's your...
0: So Monty, I mean, that's the the, the first time he really referred to, I'll try this in the courtroom type philosophy, which right. is what yeah. we should be saying all the time. What but- I can prove. I think that.
2: again, uh, what I can prove again—it's the I pronoun.
0: Yeah, you, what you, I can—he switches yeah. to the we
2: program pronoun a lot, you know. But in the end, it comes back to the I pronoun, which I think is is telling. But go ahead.
0: I think that the Maureen Brainerd bonds—that's completes the uh, the four of what they say is the Gilgo. They're referring to now as the Gilgo <clears throat> Four, and after all, she was on. Hey, we'll put it up on the screen. Yeah. Uh, this is what's considered to be the Gilgo for Maureen Brainerd-Barnes, right. who disappeared in July 2007, Melissa Bartolome, mm. Amberlynn Costello and Megan Waterman. Now, they for whatever reason, they didn't charge the case. And you heard he still has grand jury action in the case of Maureen Brainerd-Barnes. Perhaps they did not have enough to pull the trigger on her case right. yet. Right. And but they were afraid to leave him out there. So they had to go with what they had for the other three, which is fine.
2: Well, I think if he was still contacting sex workers and he was he was chatting up these these you know the one lady the one lady from in the park riding right, the bicycle, she made a police report about him stalking her in the park. So I guess they felt like maybe he was you know the fever was rising in him and he might be ready to do it again. So they made a decision. And one thing we talked before about what what they were finding in the house. Interesting that I understand that these four bodies were found wrapped up in a sort of a camouflaged burlap material that is commonly used in duck blinds. And I wonder if they found any of that material in the house. That would be an extremely uh, uh, huge piece of evidence if they found something, some of that material in the house. That would that would be very, very strong, you know?
0: You know, Monty, exactly, because we spoke, to with uh, Dr. Uh, Joni Johnson the other night as to modus operandi and uh, signature. And of course, modus operandi, as you know, as a, as a cop and as a, a, an attorney, is the method of operation, how the person that commits the crime, how they're comfortable. And lots of times, defendants, they, they're comfortable with an M.O., with a right. modus operandi, and that's how they commit their crime. Signature is another thing, and what you're referring to with the camouflage burlap, that is a signature, mm-hmm. that he used them to tie up the victims, mm. and in essence, that somehow also caused this downfall because really? the hairs that were found on this burlap and one piece of it i think may have been found on the t- on tape uh was identified years later as dna technology became so sophisticated that it was able to identify mitochondrial dna from 2010
2: right right yeah
0: unbelievable
2: yeah we well, so. Listen, we're solving cases now that are 25, 30 years old. You know, we're we're all over the country where police officers kept samples of, you know, rape kits and stuff like that and uh, fingernail clippings and things like that. And uh, the DNA technology is solving a lot of uh, cold cases all over the country. So it's really fascinating that we've come this far forensically in terms of uh, being able to conduct these types of scientific investigations into crimes that are old and 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 lying fallow and uh and able to solve them and 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 get some of these people off of the streets you
0: know and you know monty that's why it's all not to get political but that's why it's so important to fund the the police is this is part of funding the police and that's one of the reasons it's so good to bring the fbi in on early because the fbi is like the kid with the great basketball you want him to come and play because you love. Yeah, his they dad. got. They have
2: all the advanced toys. You know.
0: Yeah, they have yeah. all the best equipment, and they have yeah. a budget that is better than any police department's budget. Right. Right. And it's it's almost you know a bottomless pit of money <laughs> they could throw at the case. And I know I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not not, not that much. And that's well, why. Know, it's
2: a- I will I will say this about the idea of defunding the police. You know, this is a progressive idea. It's it's very unfortunate because when that idea takes hold and that happens the people that get hurt are, are the people that live in poor communities you know you don't need the police in scarsdale you need them in the south bronx you know you don't need the police in massapequa you know you need them in uh, oh we just showed we just showed south that we Chicago. Chicago. you know so uh defunding the police only hurts really hurts people that live in, in in poor communities more than anybody else
0: that's that's one hundred percent correct, and it's
2: the people that live in those communities that elect these people that wanted to fund the police. So it's a, kind of an, an irony there. So you know, you get what you get, what you vote for. You know, it's it's true. So.
0: Well, we just <laughs> that's awesome. Don't get me started on yeah, that. No, no, we're not going to get political here. But just you know, it's so it is so important to fund the police, especially for things yeah. like this. We had another case across the country from last year. Um, uh, Eliza Fletcher. A young mother who was out for a jog in Memphis, Tennessee, ran by the University of Memphis, was kidnapped off the street by a rapist. Right. And who she fought, she fought for her life. And he wound up shooting her in the back of the head. Right, right. They were able to solve that case in like 18 hours. They had this perp based on DNA. I, I was like, that's unbelievable well because now
2: now when you're arrested for anything that you know a lot of the court a lot of my clients have had dna samples taken from them in the courthouse for like minor crimes you know uh and it's a good idea so we have a database now we didn't have it you know a long time ago now we have a huge database getting bigger every day anytime somebody's arrested they get swabbed and uh you know that's kept in a database it's, that's that's a good thing you know years ago uh yeah, I don't know. You're an old flatfoot, so you might remember when, <laughs> if you had a fingerprint, you had to go through one card at a time to like see if you could get a match on the fingerprint, right? And then we got yeah, the nice. Then we got the nicer system where you could do it, you know, uh, electronically by the computer. That was a big, that was a big boon to you know police technology, and so it's gone so far in the last 20 years in terms of uh, forensic uh, methods and and. Uh, means of gathering evidence, you know, with luminol, with the chemicals used to uh, to find a blood type, with the chemicals used to find uh, toxins in the blood, the chemicals used to identify blood or, or bring it up and bring it out of floorboards and cracks in the wall uh, and DNA. I mean, I don't know where it's going to go in the next 20 years, but I think if you're a criminal and you're thinking of committing a crime, you need to think twice because it's getting harder and harder and harder to get away with, uh, with crimes because of this. One hundred percent. Yeah.
0: The, the science the technology is amazing the other thing is is that from a the other November part of this too this
2: is a cautionary tale for young women out there who might be thinking about getting involved in the uh, in the, uh, the, the the oldest profession in America I mean if you if you're a young woman and you're thinking about getting involved in that just remember that there's a lot of there's a lot of people that are mentally ill out there that are that are basically stalking. Uh, the internet and and Craigslist and places like that for for victims. He's not the only. If this guy is the guy, he's not the only guy. You know, there's there's dozens of these people operating all over the country at any one given time. We know that for a
0: fact. Absolutely, you know, a lot of people. What uh, they in the interview with the DA that we just listened to with DA Tierney, they asked, uh, "Is is are these the only four, or how about the other the yeah. other seven? Or, or did he kill before? And my answer to that, and I think your answer to that, I, I, I would find it very surprising if he hasn't yes. killed before.
2: If it is him, I think... You're right, if go
0: it go. is him, and it's not the, just the... Well, the three they've so far connected, Whoa. and the fourth, um, Maureen Brainerd-Barnes, they're waiting to uh, right. to indict on that case also. But I would find it very hard to believe that this is it, that he's never done this before. And we said if he did these cases that he was 46 years old that right. he started. And Dr. Joni Johnson said, no, there's no way he just started at the age of 46. He's done this before the age of forty six. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. If it is him, I mean, you're going to find before and after uh, there'll be cases. And again, uh, police officers in every jurisdiction that he ever traveled to uh, should be looking at their cold cases now and trying to, you know, compare DNA with what, what we have, uh, here on file now and uh, that may be uh, a way to link him to other cases so we'll see more is going to be revealed there's no doubt about it it's a fascinating case uh, and and uh, uh you know okay, kudos to the investigators for putting it all together and i would just caution district attorney tierney that you know okay enough is enough on the press conferences you know try the case in the courtroom don't don't pollute the pool any any further than it's already been polluted absolutely was
1: after the case, what I was going to do was I was going to work with my task force. We were going to form a task force. We were going to work with the Suffolk County Police Department. We were going to work with the Suffolk County Sheriff's Office. We're going to work with the New York State Police. We're going to work with our FBI, and we were going to form this task force and we were going to work together, and we were going to we were going to use the grand jury, the power of the grand jury. To 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 reach a determination in this case, because the grand jury has two things: it has power, it has reach. You could obtain documents, you could interview witnesses. But The other thing that the grand jury has, the grand jury has secrecy. Yeah. No one knows what you do when you operate a grand jury proceeding. And we knew that when we were investigating this case, and it, when we dealt with the media or whatever it was we were doing, um, we were we were playing. Uh, before a party of one. Because we knew uh, the person responsible for these murders would be looking at us. So,
0: Monty, that says it all. It's so interesting, right? He starts out with I, 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 I. No, no, but I'm not even talking about him. The perpetrator, though, is following what the police are doing in this case. Oh, 100%. And evidence of that was there was over 200 searches on his computer that he was searching what is the Gilgo Beach Task Force doing with cell phones? What are they doing with the... So it's very clear as to why you keep things close to the vest. And I try to explain it all the time and we get not from everybody. Most people understand it, but some give pushback. Oh, the government's too powerful. Oh, the police, Oh, the district attorney's office, how do they, you know, they didn't violate his rights, you know, all these different things, but there is no, the the public does not automatically get transparency in an investigation.
2: You can see serial killers all over the country throwing away their burner phones. Yeah. yeah. Get rid of the burner phone, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just too much. It's too much to be revealed in, in this kind of setting in the press conference. And I thought, after the press conference, I thought, okay, he got out of the system. He's done. And now I, I see him on every possible media outlet in the last couple of days. It's not good. There's no good. I can't believe nobody's saying to him, you know,
0: <clears throat> tone it I down. I would imagine that <clears> someone <throat> is saying something to him I hope so. and, uh, I hope so. and I would hope I would, I want to play a little bit of Rodney. I mean, Harrison. if he really wants
2: to try the case in his jurisdiction, he should clam up because he's making it. He's creating the possibility that the case doesn't get tried in his jurisdiction.
0: You know, that's what, that's, what's ha-
2: going to happen here.
0: Let's put Rodney Harrison on the screen. Uh, uh, who's who's a little bit different than 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 the D.A. Tierney. He's a he's a, he's a very Rodney Harrison. Um, of course, we know he came from the NYPD. He was the chief of detectives. He was the chief of the department. But one of the things I'm so impressed with about Rodney Harrison, he's such a humble guy. Yeah. He is superbly humble, and he's the first person to give someone else credit. He was very well loved. Other.
2: He was very well loved by the men on the job. There's no doubt about it. People have good opinions of Chief Harrison. And also, while we're on the I want to I want to uh, congratulate Commissioner Caban, a first Hispanic commissioner of the New York City Police Department, who's was named today, and I, and I wish him well. But go ahead.
0: One hundred percent. But you know, Rodney Harrison says it says everything about him. If during the riots, the the riots uh, over um, the last two uh, two thousand twenty to two thousand twenty two, he was seen out on the street. He was the chief of detectives tackling a burglar and, and cuffing him up. That is, when other cops see that, they're going, did you see the chief of detectives? Well, you know,
2: you know what other chief of department was like that, the guy I worked for in the 4-4 precinct, John Scanlon, he was he was a guy who would, you he, he'd get out of the car and he'd cuff somebody up. He was a cop's cop, you know, a man's man.
0: And, but, uh, Monty, that is what the rank and file love to see, and yeah. that's Rod—that's oh, yeah. Rodney Harrison and oh, yeah. and. I can't. So let me play a little bit of this interview with uh, PIX today. It's always
2: uh, something when, you know, you're holding three on a stairwell and, and the first guy up the stairs at three o'clock in the morning is the inspector. You know, that's unbelievable.
1: Yeah. Really? Surveillance video that was released of this rest We see the suspect walking down Fifth Avenue. Take us that moment, Commissioner, and why it was Increased that. Increase the volume, the though. That you yeah,
0: to I, I, I can't. It was so uh, some,
5: some concerns. Uh, you know, the case was in the grand jury. Uh, we had to wait for the, the the indictment for it, but uh, we, were, we were concerned about some leaks and it, it getting out. And if it gets out and it gets to his attention, uh, now it, it makes the investigation a, a whole lot more difficult. So uh, after confirming my partner, Ray Tierney, and uh, uh, discussing that this is something that we should move in uh, right away, we, we chose to catch him at work and wait for him to come out and, and grab him right away.
3: You got him right near his job yeah. in Midtown Manhattan. I think it was near 35th street, not far from Penn station. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to ask you about starting the task force. That made a really big difference. You came to the Suffolk police commissioner's office, the end of 2021, you held a press conference almost immediately. Yeah. What difference did that task force make?
5: It, it, it made a lot, but the one thing I, I do want to share is, uh, it's not about me creating a task force. I want to kind of get away from that. Uh, I want to-
0: Amazing, right? Right yeah. away. He's the guy, it was his idea. He brought the idea from the NYPD and right away, he's not taking credit for it. He's saying it's not the task
5: force. It yeah. was, he doesn't like to use I and me. He doesn't. Think about the men right. and the women that were part of the task force and, and the great work that he did under uh, detective Lieutenant uh, Kevin Byra. Uh, you know, I, when I first got into the position of, of being police commissioner, I, I wanted to make sure that this was the right guy for the spot, And I, I brought him into the office and me being a former chief of department and, and running Comstat meetings, uh, I asked a lot of questions you know are, are we are we looking at jail calls are we debriefing prisoners um are we uh looking at a uh, a host of other things that could possibly lead us in the right direction and uh, a three-hour meeting the man did not look at a piece of paper right so he, he knew, knew it, it in his he head knew, yeah. he you it. know i
3: got to get specific about one thing the mm-hmm. chevy avalanche mm-hmm. that made the difference here and your team re-interviewed a witness from early in the case And that second interview made all the difference. What details did he give you? I think he even gave you a description of the suspect.
5: Yeah, so one of the uh, investigators that were assigned to the task force from the state police, uh, Tiffany Atai, um, she was uh, really somebody that kind of moved the needle in in the investigation and- uh, She knocked the
3: wall down. (laughs) Yeah, pretty
5: much knocked the wall down. Well well said, but uh, we were able to now track this green avalanche to that little box in Massapequa Park. Uh we re-interviewed uh the individual who kind of gave us a better description of Rex Huerman and saying pretty much he had bushy hair, these big glasses, and it was the size of an ogre. Yeah, and, ogre. And that and that really uh helped us get this case going in, in the right direction.
0: Just uh, such a humble man, uh, yeah, great man, just uh, you know, uh doesn't want to take credit for something that he obviously was the one that came to Suffolk County, started this task force. Yeah. You know, again. It's that's not important in the in retrospect. No, because they, cops cops
2: just want to catch bad guys. You know that's all that's all they want. They, the the reward is, for for me, the reward always was when a judge banged a gavel on a guy and sent him to prison. And then I knew I got some bad guy off the street. That's that's all you're concerned about. You know, and again, it, 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 he uh he was very well loved by the men that worked for him and. uh you know we wish him luck out there in the in, on the island was uh, sorry to lose him another guy another guy who probably should have been commissioner i know chief chief Scanlon probably should have been the commissioner i, I mean they made carrick commissioner instead of him which was a mistake uh and this is another guy that that would have made a great police commissioner in new york city
0: well one of the things um uh monty that folks maybe don't understand is that <clears throat> these positions are political appointments and yeah. uh for the Suffolk County Police job, uh, they made the right. They made the right pick. Yeah, they picked a really good
2: man. Really good and man.
0: He's not just a great cop, but he's a great person, humble person, and that's the most important thing. And again, you mentioned Caban on the NYPD. He came up through the ranks. He's a good guy. I'm sure he's going to do very right. well on the NYPD. You know, right. I just want to get back to uh, the case a bit here. When we think about the recovery of these remains and how it's 13 years ago. Right. And when you look at this, this looks like a picture based on how these guys addressed the picture of Gilgo beach, right. in the winter time, how cold and unfriendly that was. And this is where <laughs> these bodies were recovered from and right. the decomposition. Cause they've got to remember they were recovered 10 years after they were put there.
2: Yeah, and that salt environment is is devastating to anything. I mean, uh, I have, I have a house down in Carolina, and the ocean is relentless. The salt air just rots everything. It rusts everything. I mean, I've got to replace my air conditioner every three years. Uh, it's ama- I think, I think by wrapping the bodies up in that material probably preserved them somewhat uh, and protected them from the elements somewhat. Miscalculation by the killer. Uh, Better to, just, the, better, better to just dig a hole and, and cover them with a lime, you know.
0: Well, you know, it's this guy, of course, you know, we don't we know that he's a um a psycho he's motivated by psychos, he's a psychosexual sadist. Yeah, and we know that's his motivation. Yeah, and according to Dr. uh Joni Johnson, that is the very most dangerous type of serial killer sure that's
2: that's ted bundy that's yeah yeah
0: and no conscious and but they also get pleasure in inflicting pain on others
2: oh that's that's bundy that's gacy you know bundy decapitated a couple of his victims gacy god knows what he put those young men through before he buried him in his basement uh yeah this is uh these people certainly do fit a type and uh, they, I, one of the interesting things here was I looked at the profile that was done in like 2011, I, I think might have been by the FBI. Uh, it was really, really uh, accurate in terms of who this guy might be back then. I mean, they had some idea back then. Who I don't know who did the profile. I don't know if it was the FBI profiler or Suffolk County profiler, but uh, the contents of it were very accurate. It was quite impressive.
0: But, you know, Monty, they use certain things like, you know, almost I think it's 90 percent, 95 percent of the time, a serial killer is a male white. Right. So right away, that's we can all use mathematics and say, okay, it's a male white.
2: Most of the time it is a male
0: white. And an organized serial killer, which this obviously had to be because why? Because he had to travel. What does that mean? He had to own a car. Right. He had to be familiar with the area. He had to have a certain level of intelligence. So I could predict a lot of those well, things. Well, I think, you know,
2: familiar, familiarity with the area was a big thing. Because if, if you've ever driven down that road that goes from, like, you know, Jones Beach over to Long Beach and Point Lookout, you know, you, you, to bury something there in the wintertime, if you wanted to pull up three or four o'clock in the morning there, there's no traffic whatsoever. And you could be out there digging a hole for hours and nobody would see you. Because, I mean, it's just no nobody's there at night you know it's the perfect place to to dump a body it's uh and and it's not only somebody who lived in the area would would know how perfect that was you know
0: yeah uh, brooklyn Pasola. i don't in i don't mean every single uh serial killer is a male white We that we found that out wasn't true in the beltway sniper right and- they made a horrific.
2: And then, the, and the guy—I forget the guy's name—the guy in Cleveland who uh, killed 15, 16 women uh, before the court was a black man.
0: Yeah, and, I'm, and, I'm saying it's not. And they're out uh, there. Statistically, it's most of the time it's going to be a male white. I'm not saying it's always uh, <laughs> Wayne Williams in Atlanta years yeah. ago. I killed all those children yeah occasionally
2: you have you know an alien more a woman occasionally and occasionally you have uh, male blacks but for the for the most part uh most of our most famous serial killers have uh, you know have been male whites you know uh,
0: isn't that crazy that you just used the word famous in describing a serial infamous. killer i should
2: have used the word infamous infamous,
0: infamous. yes yes yeah. and look let's let's play a little of this guy here Brett Hureman, i'm an architect i'm an architectural consultant i'm a troubleshooter born and raised on Long Island
4: officials claim Hewerman is responsible for at least three murders that plagued the Long Island communities starting back in 2010. Since then, 11 sets of remains have been recovered in the secluded Gilgo Beach area of Suffolk County, New York. Right.
1: These young women went missing between July of 2007 and September of 2010. They were found in De- uh, December of 2010 by the Suffolk County Police Department And then there was nothing, absolutely nothing for their, for the next 13 years, their cases went unsolved until today.
4: In early 2022, officials say a new Gilgo Beach task force comprised of Suffolk County Police Department, the Suffolk County Sheriff's Office, New York State Police, and the FBI was established. Just weeks later, investigators narrowed in on Hewerman as the prime suspect.
1: We took analysts, we took detective investigators, and they worked on a daily basis with other talented investigators from all of the agencies here. Um, and uh, we started that in February 1st, 2022. Six weeks later, on March 14th, 2022, the name Rex Uerman was first mentioned as a suspect uh, in the Gilgo case.
4: For more than a year, investigators kept watch on Hewerman, during which time they used more than 300 subpoenas, search warrants, and other legal processes to collect evidence in the case. Throughout it all, officials believe Hewerman was closely monitoring the Gilgo Beach investigation. Between March 2022 and just last month, Hewerman made more than 200 Internet searches related to the Gilgo Beach investigation, looking up, quote, Why could law enforcement not trace the calls made by the Long Island serial killer? And why hasn't the Long Island serial killer been caught? On top of that, court documents show Hewerman's home IP address followed the Suffolk County Police Department's Gilgo News website for updates on the investigation. That's why officials opted for grand jury proceedings in his case.
1: The grand jury has two things. It has power, it has reach, you can obtain documents, You could interview witnesses. The other thing that the grand jury has, the grand jury has secrecy. No one knows what you do when you operate a grand jury proceeding. And we knew that when we were investigating this case, and when we dealt with the media or whatever it was we were doing, um, we were were playing uh, before a party of one.
4: The contact victims in the case. Investigators use Hewerman's American Express records to show he was in the same location as multiple.
0: One of the things that, that shows that he was a, a sadistic, psychosexual killer is that he used the two of the victims' cell phones to call and taunt their family.
2: Right, right. Reliving, such- reliving, you know, as a way to relive the crime, you know. Uh, yeah. and that- I think that, that evidence is very powerful. That evidence is very powerful. 100%. But again, I don't know how they're uh they're gonna they you know they need to that's gotta be put together somehow. I mean the do the, the people recognize his voice uh uh are they just doing it based upon the cell phone that did they find the cell phone? Uh I that, that's not I'm I'd be interested to know how they put that that piece of evidence together. You know. Uh when I was talking about before about the other serial killers, uh, you know, black males, the guy in Cleveland was um a guy named Soul, Anthony Soul, and then you had the very famous guy out in California, Little Sammy Little, who killed about ninety women. yesterday, ninety women, and he was doing that for forty years before he got caught. So uh, Well you know, they're out there, but most 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 of them are white males. So I think that, that's a pretty, I think it's a pretty common feeling about you know serial killers.
0: Absolutely.
4: Well, of the burner phones when they were used to contact victims. Court documents read in part, quote, significantly, investigators could find no instance where Hewerman was in a separate location from those other cell phones when such a communication event occurred.
1: Uh, We also went back and looked at his cell site records and we we, we compared his personal cell site records with that of the four target phones. And we saw that there were areas of commonality. In other words,
0: the, the, all yeah, the so, cell so they have
2: an incoming call coming into one of the victims, okay, and they're able to identify the area, not the exact location, the area where the phone came from, the cell phone tower where, the, where you know, that transmitted the phone call. And then then they're able to say, well, he was in that area on that day at that time. That's, that's pretty strong,
0: absolutely. Yeah, I want to do a quick commercial, Monty. Folks, if you're looking for a great attorney in the New York <clears throat> area, then Joe Murray is your man. Joe's a retired NYPD police officer who also happens to be a fantastic defense attorney. You can reach Joe on his cell phone at 718-514-3855. Email him at joe at jmurray-law.com or go on his website, jmurray-law.com. Joe Murray's not only a fantastic defense attorney, but also a huge supporter of the police off the cuff. Podcast. We really appreciate his support. You know, Monty, I just I, th- I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. I think that you know sometimes when people hear our perspective as um, former police officers, retired police officers, sometimes they think, "Oh, you guys are tainted. You're this. You're that." But I also like to bring you on because you're also an attorney, and you can see it from that perspective and how people couldn't understand why we criticized District Attorney Tierney for all of this uh, basically pouring the case out in public. And I'm glad that you were able to explain it from a perspective of a, an attorney.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that was my lovely wife who just walked out of the yeah. office. <laughs> uh, you know, look, if this is a fascinating case. A lot more is going to be revealed. Pleasure to be on, on with you again uh, and to see you. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how this develops. I mean, this is going to be a very, very interesting uh, case and a very interesting prosecution. Uh, but what I'm really thinking is that, you know, this guy might take a plea and, and deprive us all of a trial. Uh, and, you know, now uh, with the damage to to the voir dire, to the jury pool, I mean, uh, his lawyers are in a better position to, to seek a plea, you know, because uh, if if the DA keeps going on these news shows like this, I don't know where you're going to find a, an impartial juror in the, in the metropolitan area. I just don't know where you're going to do it. This this case is receiving incredible media attention, as it should. I mean, it's a it's an incredible case. So, Absolutely. but we always have to keep the Constitution before anything else. It's got to come first, you know.
0: Absolutely, not- Look, we, we say it even though in the in the you know, the public perception he's already guilty, but he is innocent until proven guilty. Right. He has that presumption as an American citizen. Folks, that's I'm how gonna... it
2: works. Whether you like the guy or not, that's how it works.
0: Absolutely. Folks, I want to thank everyone for tuning in today. This is Police Off the Cuff Real Crime stories. So myself, Bill Cannon, and retired NYPD police officer, attorney, uh, songwriter, author, uh, radio talk show host, and dad, Oh, El- and Marine.
2: forever, 4-4 forever, and you can join me on WVX 1460 AM on the second and fourth Wednesday of every month at 10 AM. Give us a call, chime in.
0: Have a great day, Monty.
2: Thank you, Bill. Be be safe. God bless.